dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. While the demands of leadership are the same in every context, the way we approach leadership can be different. A Christian leader leads differently than his secular counterpart. From visioning an idea, to implementing a strategy, to carrying out and executing a plan, the Christian leader leads, frankly, differently. In this first of a six-part series, I examine the difference that the Christian spirit demonstrates in leadership. I attempt to answer the question, what difference does it make if I believe? You know, in my work with business leaders, one of the things that I like most about you guys is that you are people of action. You are people who are doers. And while sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming to be associated with people like you because you're always doing, always implementing, it's also very refreshing because coming from the church environment where we are people of thinking (laughs) and people of desiring, right? It's really effective and wonderful to be around people who are implementing and forced on action. Now, of course, I'd like to think that it would be good for you to expand your vision every once in a while from just what is practical into thinking what is best, what is optimal, et cetera. But hey, we can't always stretch our borders too far. But I do want to say that as people of action, I'd like to help you understand what it is that's behind your action in your activity, meaning there's a structure that every human action follows. And it's for, from the small things like doing the dishes at home to the big things like how do we you know, vision our quarter four earnings, right? Or, or how do we overhaul our labor force in order to be more efficient, right? You're doing, whether, whatever the act of leadership is, you know, I'm gonna start a new product line or we're gonna open a new uh, franchise uh, shop somewhere. It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. If you are doing it, you're going to have and implement the same structure to your action. And it's really important to understand this because if we can modulate that structure and we can improve your ability to actually live that that structure harmoniously and efficiently, live it better, well, we're going to see dramatic increase in your ability to be influential in that activity. I mean, the difference between just look, look at your people when you do interviews or when you're trying to recruit for new employees, you don't just look for someone who has the skill set that you need. You're looking for someone who works well, who's intelligent, who's understanding what they're doing, who's able to be flexible when things go the wrong way, who's able to keep their emotions in check so they don't emote a terrible toxicity all around them, right? The difference between a worker and a leader is that the leader works with understanding and with depth, right? And I want you to become workers who are leaders, 
who stand out for those who are managing you and help your companies to rise to a higher level. And I think this is the call of Christ. I can't imagine Jesus being up on the roof that he was repairing because he was, at, in Greek, the word is tekton, right? So it was, he would literally be the person who was building the frame that the roof of the house or building would sit on. So he was doing heavy, hard construction labor. And you can't imagine Jesus, if they were to go up to him saying, well, I don't really know what I'm doing and I don't really have a plan anyway. And, you know, I'm just kind of like slacking off on this roof, right? Like Jesus wouldn't do that. I mean, he was the perfection of, of humanity and, and therefore his work would have been, looked like what? What would a perfect worker look like? If Jesus were to do the job for you and you were to be watching him on the job site, how would he be working? Well, you'd say, well, he'd be, he'd be focused. He would be resilient. He would be creative in his, in his creation, right? He would be high quality. He wouldn't make any errors. I think of St. Joseph. Can you imagine if St. Joseph would have made your, your kitchen table for you? You'd say, my goodness, this, this table would you know, just be so wonderful. And with Mary as Joseph's wife, the table would be sure to be immaculate. Right? It's a little joke. You get it? Joseph makes the table. Mary keeps it immaculate. Anyway, the point is work is not just automatic. It's something that operates deep inside of, of us on a system, a way of going about a project. And it's the same system, whether you're doing something very small, like how do I have a meaningful conversation with my 13-year-old, right? And how do I do this right? To something very big, like how do I rebuild my house? And all of that, the same systems at place. There are four fundamental questions that you have to answer. Number one, what do I want to do? Right? So obviously, this is the hardest, most troubling question for our, our young people, it seems. Right? So what are you going to do after college? And the kids are like, I have no idea. Right? Well, that's why their lives can sometimes take the wrong direction. Because if you don't know where you're going, that's the surest way to never get there. <laughs> so the point is here, I've got to figure out what I want to do. And once I know what I want to do, in general, like my goal, my orientation, well, then I can move into the second stage, which is answering the question, how am I going to do it? And if I can make a plan well and really think it through and figure out that I'm going to accomplish this in this way, and it takes into account, well, who I am and my strengths and the limits of my circumstances that are, I can't change and you know, all the different things, the best way to get it done with the tools and the resources that I have, I now have a plan that I have to execute, which means I go to the third question, which is how, when, and where will I actually get this done? So we, we now move it from the internal planning phase into the external phase where I'm dedicating my resources, putting my skin in the game here in order to get the job done. And then as after all, since I'm doing this for others and I'm doing this with others, the last question, of course, that I have to ask is, how am I involving those around me well? How am I building up and leaving behind me people who will carry out what I've done in a way that is effective and creative and can themselves catch the spirit that I've laid out for them, right? These are the four pillars of leadership. And you can listen to any leadership talk that you want. They're all going to go through one of those four or all four of those domains because in the end, those four questions dominate the human experience. Now, interestingly, you could then say, well, all we have to do to lead is answer those questions. Well, if I come up with ideas that are great, 
right? And I can imagine plans that are effective. And if I can carry those plans out in the changing environments and the things that happen and with the determination necessary, and if I could win people over to my ideas, well, I'm going to be a great leader. And I would say, you're right. You won't necessarily be a great leader, but you'll be ready to be a great leader, meaning that now you have to actually do it. So we say, great, that's what leadership is. And I have to say, it's that and so much more. And what I mean by that is that's the basic machinery. That's the basic inner structure, right? But now how you use that machinery will depend on the heart and the spirit that's driving you. And if your heart and your spirit is driven by an idea that's shallow, superficial, that puts yourself first and exalts you as the end product overall, well, you're going to be a leader that uses that machinery towards an end goal that in the end is tainted, is limited, is in not as shining and wonderful and as beneficial as it could be. And if you're driven by a spirit that, well, in the end is just trying to please other people, well, then it's the same thing. You might be influential in your leadership because you're able to answer those four questions. That's the first basis of the thing. But then how you answer those questions is going to depend on where you're coming from, what's driving you, what's the spirit that's within you. And therefore you have a bifurcation here. We can either be driven by the spirit of the world or we can be driven by the spirit of God. And there is a difference between a leader who leads in a, in a spiritual way and a leader who leads in a secular way. And that difference is the difference that Christ makes. Does your family matter? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a family mission infographic that will help you focus on your family. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org member and join for free today. So all of us are at the St. John Leadership Network here because we want to try to find how to lead in, as an instrument of God, right? You're here because you have faith, you have desire, you want to be, live a better and a deeper life, you want to make a real impact in our world, and so you've come to the St. John Leadership Network saying, how do I do that? Well, we're here to help you to do that, right? And the very first thing is to remember this principle from St. Thomas Aquinas, Grace does not destroy nature, but rather grace perfects nature. Now, I know that that's kind of fancy philosophy there, but it's very profound. It means that God doesn't change the fundamental structure of your human self. Instead, he uses that fundamental structure for a higher goal, a greater end, which means that we cannot replace the value of skills and the growth that comes usually from the family and from being reared in a good environment that enables us to answer the four fundamental questions of every leader. What do I want to do? What's the best way to accomplish it? How can I do it in the here and now of my life? And how can I win people to follow me in my idea? We just can't replace those things or that ability. And, and you, you notice it. Some people are born leaders. You just kind of see that because they're able, their intelligence is able to operate well in that environment and answer those questions. Other people, you can tell that they were well reared. They come from a good family. And then that a big family, for example, where they were made to work when they were little. And it just kind of brings together a fabric inside of them 
which is poised for greatness. And you look for that and you want that and you want to take that. And God will use that same foundation for his great purposes as well. Grace does not destroy nature, but rather perfects it. Now, why am I saying this? It's because all that you can learn at leadership schools around the country is a fine thing. And all the different courses and all the different methods and techniques that you want to employ are all going to be useful because they're all going to be focused on helping you answer one or all of those four questions. And therefore, it's going to be fine. The difference that Christian leadership makes is that the spirit that is using that mechanism, answering those questions, coming to those conclusions, is different inside of a Christian than it is inside of a secular-minded person. And I would say it's different inside of a Christian who's actually engaged in their faith. Because let's be honest, a lot of us are just afraid to actively believe and live from our faith in our workspace environments. We're scared of what consequences there might be, or we're scared. We're just scared, period. And so when we do that, we adopt a different spirit. We say, okay, my business is not going to have anything to do with my faith. Right, so what, what, what happens when that happens? Well, that means that who is it that's actually leading your business? If Jesus Christ in the faith is not the light and the spirit that's in your heart, well, whose light and spirit is it that's in your heart? And it's naive to say, well, it's nobody. I mean, nobody is actually influencing me. My company is being led in the worldly way. Well, who's defining the worldly way? It would be very different to be a business leader in 1890 It'd be very different to be a business leader in 1960. It's very different to be a business leader today. I mean, according to the world, the world's culture is shaped and it's shaped by ideas that have consequences in our actions. So ask yourself if you're willing to be responsible for the consequences that the ideas are going to produce through your action when those ideas are shaped by people who do not have the same vision of the human person or the destiny of work, or the importance of the world that we have as Christians. And I think most of us would say, well, no, no, I mean, I, I want to actually make my life impactful for Christ. I want to bring the kingdom of God in whatever way I can to this world. I don't want my life to be just a, a mere pawn being played by some other person who wants to shape the world in their image and likeness. I want to shape the world for the good. All right, well, if that's the case, the very first thing you need to do is ask yourself, who is owning your spirit right now? The spirit that you take into the office every day. And we say, well, I mean, it could be the politically correct culture, whatever, and then whoever shapes that. And it's interesting how that changes too, right? <laughs> What's politically correct just seems to change. Well, therefore, you're going to change too, right? And, or is it the, the, the vision of the person that is dominated by a cultural reference point that seems arbitrary or that is arbitrary? I mean, who is it that's telling you what's right or wrong or how you should treat your people? Who's defining the culture in your business? Somebody is. And if it's not, you know, some celebrity or if it's not some artist who's out there, then it's definitely some political power that's being generated by some sort of influence that's being spread by some sort of media into your mind. And so don't say to me that you're just neutral. The secular world is not neutral. 
The secular world is not neutral, okay? We all know this. It's dominated by the same coefficients that you are driving you and your business. It's dominated by the economic interests of those who have the means to shape that secular worldview in order to accomplish their goals and their agenda, which in the end are always going to be economic. Well, so that's fine. I'm not even decrying that. I'm simply saying, knowing that, we should enter into the playing field more actively and more boldly, saying Jesus Christ also has a worldview, and Jesus Christ also has a philosophy, and his worldview and his philosophy, frankly, are a lot more appealing and have a greater impact, one to which I'd like to subscribe, and one that I'm not ashamed of sharing in my workplace. Now notice, I'm not saying that you have to proclaim Christ overtly in the workplace. I'm not saying you have to mention his name or put him everywhere that you want to. Although if you can, I mean, why not? But I'm not saying you have to. A lot of Christian people are afraid to bring their faith in the workplace because they think it means evangelizing in an overt and an imposing fashion. I'm saying no. The influence that we share through the position that we have as a leader in our business is itself a testimony. And that influences in the decisions that we make, the environments we create, the policies that guide us, the ethics that fill us, the way we treat our people. If Jesus were to run a roofing company, in other words, I think that he'd be sure that his roofs were put on well, that his people were paid justly or treated in safety, that the customer would have a relationship that went beyond mere efficiency, and so forth, right? Like the Christian leader's influence is itself Christian, even if it doesn't bear the name. And again, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but then again, you don't have to in all circumstances. But the influence that we give is decidedly Christian, not so much in what we're doing, but in the way that we do it. In other words, a Christian leader will influence the world in a Christian way because his actions will be Christian themselves. The mechanism is the same for any kind of leader, secular or Christian, my ability to answer those four questions and answer them well, but the way that I answer them is determined by the spirit within me and the spirit of Christ soars above the spirit of the world. So let's look at the difference that that can actually make. Would you like your business to become a virtuous workplace? Would you like Father Nathan to come to an event in your town? Visit www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash r-events and join for free today. When you get right down to it, all of us want to lead and we want to lead in a Christian way, which means a way that glorifies God, a way that allows us to grow in holiness, and a way that benefits humanity as, a, as an instrument of God. I mean, that's, I mean, what a noble aspiration. First of all, I just want to thank you for having that. Like, that's absolutely amazing. But a lot of us just don't understand how it works. I mean, how is a Christian leader any different than any other leader? Both of us, both the Christian and the secular leader, have to get the job done, and we've got to do it with our team, and we have to motivate the people around us in order to accomplish our mission. Right? We need to run a business in the end. That's what this is all about, or run an organization of one kind or another. The difference is the spirit. What I mean by that is actually more precise than what you might think. It means that the intelligence 
that we have inside of us, our understanding of the world as a Christian is deepened, is enlightened by a perspective that no one else frankly has. When we believe in God, we see the world through his lens. And that means we're going to see the, the a vast amount of possibilities that would never even enter into the mindset of someone who's not, or who it doesn't have that. We have an understanding of a truth that does not change. Like we're being guided, in other words, by a, a, a morning star that is different and brighter and it's going to take us in a different direction. It's the same approach, the same necessity of the world, but the Christian has a deeper understanding because his intelligence has been infused by the light of faith. And not only that, but our hearts have been transformed by a hope that is indomitable. Right? So not only do I see things in the perspective of God, which is a pretty amazing perspective, let me just say that, it's going to guide us in the right way instead of having us swing our organizations left or right and all kinds of pathways that are going to be detrimental in the end to our very people or to the products that we're making. But our heart is different. Being the reason why we're actually doing the work is, is informed by that faith for, towards a goal which is more beautiful and elevated and on the one hand. And number two, is, the, is able to count on God's strength to get us there. Like there's a, a grit inside of a Christian, which is quite simply uncommon in the world. And it's the grit that comes from Christian hope. And then finally, the love that we share for our fellow human beings isn't just a love that's self-centered or limited, but it's a love that comes from Christ himself. And, and that love being in such a person will permeate the actions, the decisions, the words, the personal influence of that person and through that person of their corporation or their organization in, in a way that's entirely unique. Wouldn't we love to have Mother Teresa sitting next to us in the office? <laughs> you know, wouldn't we just love it? Wouldn't that be amazing? If you're try, trying to type a letter up, right? And you look to your right and that's Mother Teresa and she's sitting there typing the letter. Do you not think that Mother Teresa would write the letter a little bit differently? She might use the same words, but it'd be, it'd be Mother Teresa writing that letter, right? And when decisions come about how to phrase it or how to do it, I mean, like she would add that wonderfulness that comes from genuine love and genuine compassion that's beyond simply the religious confines of our dogmatic definitions. It's the spirit of Christ. And that spirit in the mind of faith, in the heart of hope, and in the, the will of love for our world, well, those things are going to make that worker different. They don't have to proclaim Christ in an overt fashion. They don't have to violate the code of secularism. But they also have to say, my spirit is dominated by a different code in a different culture than ones that, that's coming from all of the organizations and the media outlets and all of the stars and all of the people who, who, who have their own philosophies. God bless them. We have ours. Our philosophy is that of the gospel. And that gospel is a philosophy the world desperately needs. And if I imbue that gospel's vision and truth into my life, I'm going to be a leader and I'm going to know what I want to do and I'm going to plan how to do it and I'm going to lead my organization well, but I'm going to lead it with a spirit that liberates and that brings peace 
and that won't be deterred by this, the forces of destruction and of corruption that can so easily seem to influence all those who are around me. Meaning, here's an example. One of the fundamental visions that drives every one of us in our, in our world without us even knowing it. But every leader is driven by the way that they envision the human person. The way that you envision the customer that you're facing, the people that you're managing, the product that you're building and its end goals, it's going to be determined. I mean, like, how do you see the people that you're supposedly benefiting by your business and in your work? How do you see them? Well, if you're like, well, I see them as basically people who are going to give me money. That's not a Christian worldview. Or I see them as, uh, as ends to, means to an end. It means to the end of my power. The more followers I can get on Instagram, the more money I can make on my advertising. Not a Christian worldview. While it's true that the more followers you get on Instagram, it's true that that will have an impact on the amount of money that you can get for advertising. If that's your vision, though, of people, you're going to generate a culture where you're using even your very employees who are trying to serve you. And where you're using your customer in the end for your own end goal. Instead of serving them, you're going to be dominating them. And a little sooner or later, you're going to sell them short. You're going to end up making decisions that can actually hurt them because you, your vision of people is not coming from the gospel. And maybe you'll even do things on Instagram, for example, which are unethical which could actually lead other people to sin or lead other people to addiction or lead other people in a harmful way. And you're doing it because you don't see people as having any kind of destiny beyond what they can do for you. Well, they, that's fine. You go ahead and take that perspective, but don't tell me that the Christian perspective is in any way inferior to that. Because what the Christian perspective says is that the human person is never a means to an end. It's always an end in itself. And that the human person being served finds their ultimate culmination in a union with God. And therefore, my business is there to help that person towards that authentic end. And if my business gets in the way of that end, it's not a good business. It's not just because I generate profit or my company keeps going that it's worthy of the name of a healthy and good business. No, not for a Christian. A Christian says it's got to be a business that not only helps my people, my products will be good in their quality. They'll be thorough in their ingredients. I'm not going to change and diminish the quality of my service just because people will pay the same amount and we get the same profit. That's not, you see, it's a difference right there. That's the difference Christ makes. And that's just one example. How do you vision the people that are your own colleagues in the office with you? Are they obstacles to your advancement? Are, are, are they people that you just use in order to make more advances on your own? Or are these people that you value as real teammates and who are there together to contribute towards something wonderful and beautiful? This is the difference you can make. It's the difference you have to make. When you lead, let Christ's Spirit guide you through the, the process that we all go through. Let Christ's Spirit elevate you so that you influence the world for Him through what you do. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info 
at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.